Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our The Time Is Now series, which walks through the book of Nehemiah. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, Nehemiah chapter number two, let's all turn there, Nehemiah chapter two this morning. And if you are just joining us, whether you're here in person or with us online, we've been in a series of messages in the book of Nehemiah uh, called The Time Is Now. The Time Is Now. Uh, If you were to go and kind of research the book of Nehemiah, we know that Nehemiah, he was the king's cupbearer. He lived in Susa or Shushan, the, uh, the capital city, the winter capital city for the media Persian empire. Uh, he would be the cupbearer for Artaxerxes or Cyrus is what we would know his name to be. And Nehemiah, he was not of the media Persian empire. No, as a matter of fact, he was a Hebrew. He was uh, from Jerusalem, although he had never been there. That was his family's heritage. Well, if you were here the very first week, we, we walked all the way from the destruction of Israel up to Nehemiah's day. But just to kind of help us get some, some context so that we're all on the same page, you'll recall that Israel, the northern kingdom, was overrun by the Assyrians. Uh, a few years later, Judah, the southern kingdom, was overrun by the Babylonians. Babylon actually ended up taking over the north and the south and becoming the world power. Under, uh, of course, under Babylon, Israel was very much, the Hebrews were very much um, in, uh, um, in, in a state of depression and, and being pushed down and being looked down upon. And they were never allowed to go back to their country of Israel to go back and, and start a country again. As a matter of fact, they were in captivity for 70 years. But then there came a man on the scene named Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, and they would help uh, lead a group of people back to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, about 50,000 would go back in the first exodus. Babylon fell to the media Persian empire, and then that exodus and went back. The, uh, <laughs> I can't talk today. That first group with Zerubbabel and Joshua, they traveled back to Jerusalem. A few years later, a second group would go back. And a few years later, a third group would go back. Amongst one of those groups was a man by the name of Ezra. Ezra would go back and he would actually go back and realize that the people, they were without spiritual leadership. The people of Jerusalem. And so Ezra went in and he began to preach the word of God and to encourage the people. And of course, during Ezra's time and even Zerubbabel and Joshua, during their time, um, the, uh, the temple was rebuilt and worship started again in, Jew- in Jerusalem. But the problems were not solved for the people of Israel. As a matter of fact, as you come to the book of Nehemiah, we find out that Hanani, Nehemiah's brother and some other men, they left Shushan, Susa, and they traveled the 850 miles west all the way to Jerusalem. They went there for a trip, and and when they got back, when they got back to Shushan, to Susa, Nehemiah inquired of them, hey guys, what's going on? Hey, what's happening in, in Jerusalem? What's going on? And Nehemiah showed a great care for the city, but not just for the city and the infrastructure. Nehemiah's like, how are the people doing? How are the people in Jerusalem? What's, what's going on in their lives? And 
And Hanani begin to share with Nehemiah the heartbreaking news that Nehemiah, the people, are suffering under great affliction. And they're, in, they're, they're a great reproach. Nehemiah, they're suffering and they're a reproach to God. They're a reproach. Uh, they, they, are totally, they are totally in a discouraged, depressed state. Well, our story, we found out Nehemiah, what did he do? He got burdened. He got burdened for people. And Hannah and I also shared this with him. The city walls are broken down and the gates are destroyed. Boy, that kind of crushed Nehemiah because he knew that if the city walls are broken down and if the the gates are destroyed, then the people have no way to defend themselves. In that day and age, if a city was without walls, what's the point of a city? And Nehemiah, he was burdened for the people and we were encouraged through that first message as Nehemiah got burdened for people. We were encouraged, man, where's my burden for people? for people around me to realize that people around me matter and their lives matter and I can invest into them. And so Nehemiah had this burden, but that burden didn't just stop with saying, okay, I care about people. No, that burden caused Nehemiah to seek God. And for four months, for four months, Nehemiah prayed, God, if you would open the door and and open the eyes of King Cyrus and give me opportunity, show me mercy in his sight, I'll do something. Well, that day finally came, and last week we were there. Last week we read as that day finally came in Nehemiah chapter two, verses one through nine. Oh, it was an amazing time in Nehemiah's life. Why? Because he came into the presence of the king, and of course, as the king's cupbearer, one of his jobs was to be an encourager to the king, and so he could not be depressed or discouraged in his sight, and for four months he had done well uh, kind of concealing this burden, but on this day, On this day, God opened the eyes of Cyrus, king of Media Persia, and and he said to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, you're discouraged. Nehemiah, this is sadness, and this is, listen to what he said, this is nothing more than sorrow of heart. Nehemiah, there's something going on. What's taking place? Nehemiah recounts the story for us, and he says, I was very sore afraid (laughs) because he knew, man, this could cost me my job. This could cost me my life. And he said to the king, he said, oh, king, live forever. There's some wisdom right there. If you're about to get in trouble, give a compliment. Every teenager, you listen. If you're about to get in trouble, mom, dad, I love you. Mom, that look, you look so nice today, mom. Something like that. That's, that's what Nehemiah is doing. The, may the king live forever. And then he said this, how shall I not be, have sorrow of heart and be discouraged and be burdened when the city of my forefathers is broken down? The walls are destroyed. The gates are destroyed. And everybody there is living in reproach. Well, Cyrus asks him a question. All right, Nehemiah, what are you gonna do about it? And I love it because Nehemiah answers from God and he's kind of like, well, as a matter of fact, I've been praying about this. If you'll give me permission, if you'll give me the materials, if you'll give me the resources, and if you'll give me time, I'd like to go back and build the walls. And if you were to go, you would find Nehemiah chapter two and verse number eight Nehemiah said this, and the king granted to me, or the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Nehemiah realized, man, God is working and God is opening up doors. And what we were challenged with last week is everybody needs a Nehemiah 2.8 in their life. We all need the good hand of God upon us. You know what your marriage needs? The good hand of God upon it. You know what your finances need? The good hand of God upon them. You know what your kids need? The good hand of God upon them. You know what you as a parent needs? The good hand of God. As a worker, as a steward, whatever it may be, you know what we need? We need the good hand of God upon us. Man, we need God 
to be all over our lives and what we do. And so last week we were encouraged, don't leave God out of your plans. Nehemiah sought God, Nehemiah pursued God, and God was a great part of the plans of Nehemiah. Today we're going to come and we're gonna find Nehemiah actually coming back to the city or coming to the city for the very first time. And so if you would take your Bibles and let's stand. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter number two. Nehemiah chapter number two. And we're gonna read verse 11 down through verse number 20 of Nehemiah chapter two. Notice the word of God says this. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. And the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool. But there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we may be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants, we will arise and build. I love what he says. But ye, ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. This is such an incredible portion of scripture because it is in this place. It is in this place of scripture in Nehemiah 2 where we see this to be true. Nehemiah's step of faith caused an entire city to step out by faith. One man affected an entire people. One man affected an entire city. And one man affected, from then on, the, hist- the future of Jerusalem, us looking back at their history, all affected by the faith step of one man. Today, I'm gonna encourage you in this simple thought. You have no idea who your steps of faith will affect. You have no idea who your steps of faith will affect. Let's pray and ask God to help us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would, take just a minute and ask the Lord to speak into your heart today. You can pray something simple. Dear God, please speak to me. 
Dear God, please speak to me. And then make a commitment. God, if you speak to me today, I'm listening. I'm listening and I'll respond to you. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for how it applies into our lives and how you use it to help us and to strengthen us and how you use it to encourage and challenge us. And today, Lord, I'm looking forward to this message and I'm looking forward to how you can use it to help us take faith steps this week. And so God, I pray that as we go through the service and the message this morning, I pray that you'd give me your thoughts and your mind and your heart and do only what you can do. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. In the uh, spring and early summer of 2020, June of 2020 to be exact, there was a TV show that came out. The TV show was called The Floor is Lava. The Floor is Lava. TV show was actually made after a game, The Floor is Lava, that was created for kids a number of years ago. And this TV show, it kind of came out, of course, here in the U.S. And in the show, contestants, uh, they navigate an obstacle course in one room. This room, however, is filled with 80,000 gallons of a bright red goop that simulates uh, being hot lava. And of course, it's not scalding or going to kill anybody, but if they fall into the lava, uh, they're disqualified. They're trying to make it through in a certain amount of time. There's three teams, and the team that makes it through the fastest with the most people through, uh, they're the ones who win $10,000, and they win the uh, Flores Lava, Lava, Flores Lava Championship Trophy. But what matters in the Flores Lava What matters in the board game, The Floor is Lava, and the show is this simple thought. Every step counts. Every step counts. In the TV show, if you've watched it, it's rather comical, uh, this game show, because honestly, somebody can step on one thing and it could fall out from underneath them and they, they go right in. They could jump from a jump. There might be a, a, a bed that's just kind of moving around in a bedroom that's in there. And they can jump from the bed to the ottoman, but they'll slide right off and they just go right in the lava and the whole team goes, ah, you know, and everybody's bummed because you're really cheering for them to win and send you the money. I don't know. But <laughs> the truth is just this, that every step counts. You know, in life, there's a lot of times that, Every step counts. But in our faith, it's even more vital. Every step that you take for God, it matters. You say, well, I'm not into the big steps, even the small steps. Every small step of faith that I take to follow God, it matters. And today, Nehemiah, he's going to look and realize that his steps mattered. His steps mattered and your steps mattered. Today, I want us to notice just a few thoughts of what happened when Nehemiah took steps of faith. What happened when Nehemiah stepped out and said, okay, God, I will go and I will help build. Okay, God, I will go and I will encourage the people. Okay, God, they're a reproach. God, I'm going to step out by faith. What happened when Nehemiah did that? I want you to notice, first of all, this morning that when Nehemiah took his step of faith, he discovered that there was work to be done. When Nehemiah took his step of faith, he discovered 
the work was actually just starting. If you were to go, and we won't read them for time's sake, we already did, but Nehemiah chapter two, verse 11 through verse number 16, it account recounts for us where Nehemiah is arriving in Jerusalem for the very first time in his life. Nehemiah has never been to Jerusalem. Now, in our day and age, we can kind of think, well, that's, that's okay that he hadn't been there. I mean, you know, he probably just had his iPhone or he had his Samsung Galaxy or he had his Nokia. He could just pull out and see pictures from there. Uh, we know that's not true. You know, the day and age we live in, if you haven't been somewhere, you just Google it, pull up pictures and start scrolling. Ah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Man, I feel like I've been there, you know. And, uh, but you know what? He had never been to Jerusalem. He had never seen pictures of it. Maybe, maybe someone's drawing of it, perhaps, or maybe Hanani, when Hanani came back, he kind of sketched the, the city limits, and here's where the gates would be, and they're all broken down. All Nehemiah knew was historical stories. All he had heard as being a, a young man who was born and raised in captivity, had never been to his, uh, his home country, so to speak, the, the people of his forefathers, which they were very, very uh, strong in their, in their uh, um uh, country, um, man, what's the word I'm looking for? Nobody's helping me. <laughs> Patriotism, thank you. Yeah, that's, that. sure. They were, they were good with their country. They were, they were so thankful for their heritage. That's what it is. Their country's heritage. Man, why couldn't you think of that? They were thankful for their country's heritage and they wanted, they wanted their country's heritage to be their heritage. And so here's Nehemiah. He'd never been there. And yet now he's showing up for the very first time and what does he do when he shows up for the very first time? Well, he told us. For the first few days, he's just kind of there. He's just kind of going around. He's just kind of seeing what is taking place. But after a few days of being there, he gets up at night. And probably without even a lantern, just with the, uh, the moonlight as to not draw attention to himself, he begins to go on a, a scouting trip, if you will. He begins to go and see all of the destruction that has taken place. And for the first time in his life, Nehemiah is discovering, man, there's a lot of work to be done. Man, this is not what I thought it would be. Jeremiah, the, the author and the prophet, he actually kind of enlightens us a little bit as to the destruction that took place. And in Jeremiah and in other portions of the Old Testament, when the prophets wrote about the destruction of Jerusalem, they actually said this, that it was destroyed so much that not one stone was left upon another. Not one stone was left upon another. If you grew up with siblings, then you know what it's like to destroy somebody's creation. <laughs> Maybe you're the type who <clears throat> likes to build with Legos. Our kids are very much into Legos. And Dennis, in particular, he is very, very much into Legos. And uh, Dennis, all growing up, he has been he has been one of those OCD children, and you know what I see. You know what I mean? OCD, obsessive, compulsive, uh, to the point where Dennis, when he'd grow up in his room, you'd go in his room and he'd have all his Legos set out perfectly, and he'd have he'd have the bigger blocks here, and sometimes color coordinated. I think. Do you still do color coordinated? You still do? He still has color coordinated. He does everything's, everything's organized by size and color and all these things. And, and, and he knows when one little piece is missing. He'll come and be like, hey, dad. Hey, there was a little blue single Lego that I had that I remember from when I was like seven. It's missing. I'm like, probably sold it in a yard sale, man. I don't know what to tell you. You know what? When those kids, they'll build up a Lego set. You ever watched a sibling just walk by and go, 
Yeah. Yeah. How many of you have been the sibling that did it? Come on, be honest. Yeah. Join me. I love it. I, I would try to destroy my sister's things. And of course, just as a little kid, I would destroy, I would go in and try to destroy their makeup. I'd mix their makeups when they were, when I was a kid, I'd, I'd do all that stuff. You know what? When you have that sibling that's destroyed everything, you leave it no peace left on top of another. Well, that's what Babylon did when they came in. They destroyed it completely. They destroyed it even more vindictive and more vengeful than a sibling would. And now Nehemiah is viewing it with his eyes for the very first time. Can you imagine what Nehemiah is thinking? I mean, he's already prepared. He's already mentally thought, okay, uh, when we get there, we're gonna probably have to figure out some things. Remember, it was his, in his mind, I'm gonna go and do, do my part. I don't know what I can do to help the people, but I know I can help build a wall. I can help build the wall so the people are no longer a reproach. I could do something for that. And so Nehemiah's already been thinking about it, but I imagine when he gets there and those nights as he's roaming around and scouting, I can imagine Nehemiah kind of going, Wow. Man, this gate is totally destroyed by fire. Man, and this one too. Man, and these, that, man, this is a lot of work. You know what Nehemiah realized? He realized something that a lot of Christians fail to realize. And that is, even though we take a step of faith, God still expects us to serve him in some ways. Work doesn't stop when faith starts. Now that's, that's an interesting dichotomy because we think, well, we're saved by faith and there's no works involved in that, right? Because Jesus already did all of the work. So when Jesus died on the cross for your sin and for my sin, he did all of the work all, is up to, all that's up to us is a step of faith to say, I receive that. I put my faith and my trust in you. But after we trust Christ as our savior and we take little faith steps to follow him, man, that's when the work begins. And that's what Nehemiah is realizing. He's, Nehemiah, he's realizing that the work was just beginning. He's realizing, you know what? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the work begins. And just because we see something that needs to happen in our life, uh, just because we wanna build a wall back up in our life, or just because we wanna take a step of faith to follow God, just because we do that does not mean that the work is over. In reality, when we step out by faith to serve the Lord or to follow the Lord, that's when the work is just beginning. You see, but a lot of Christians, uh, uh, they live in the what-if stage. And Nehemiah here, he's moving from the what-if stage to the here's-how stage. No longer is it just talk. No longer is he saying, well, what if I go? What if I build? What if I talk? What if I, no, now it's, okay, how is this going to happen? Okay, what, what things do I need to implement in my life? And what things do I need to put in in my life so that I can continue this forward-moving motion? You know what a lot of Christians do? We live in the what-if zone. Well, what if I took that step in my relationship to be a better spouse? What if I, I became more faithful? Well, what if I got involved? What if I gave? What if I served? And we live in the, the what if stage, the stage that says, well, what if I take that step? Here's the truth, that when you take that step, it no longer becomes a what if, it has to turn into, okay, here's how. 
You see, just because I, as a husband, say, you know what? I'm going to take a step of faith and be a better husband to my wife. At the end of the day, if walls are going to be built, somebody's got to pick up a rock. And if I'm going to be a better husband to my wife, then I've got to pick up a rock. Well, what's that? I've got, to, I've got to start figuring out what is the how. How am I going to be a better husband? Okay, I'm going to speak kinder words. Okay, I've got to work on that. What's it take? Work. Does that make sense this morning? Faith doesn't stop the work. No, when we take that step of faith, man, that is where work begins. And maybe it's, well, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take that step of faith. Uh, thinking about it, I'm, I'm going to take that step of faith and, and be one of 500. And I'm going to give $1,000 in the next 18 months. You know what? Just because I said that doesn't mean today I'm going to open up the mailbox and there's going to be 1000 bucks. And I'm like, wow, thank you, Lord. You know, and of course, with our government right now, maybe that will happen. I don't know. <laughs> Some of you are like, Pastor, bad example. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Listen, the truth is there's going to be some work. Okay, where do I limit? Okay, where, do, where am I going to budget to put that in? Uh, you might say, well, I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to serve. In two weeks, we have our Sign Me Up Sunday, encouraging everybody to get involved in a ministry. You think, okay, I'm going to serve and I'm going to be a greeter. Okay, that's going to take some work. Why? Because I'm going to have to get up a little bit earlier on a Sunday. I'm going to have to actually be at church before it starts on Sunday and, and greet people and say hello. That's a little bit of work, but here's what we like. We like the what if stage. Well, that's a good faith step. Yeah. What if I do that? Yeah, that's good. We don't like the how to stage. And I want to encourage you this morning that Nehemiah, what he was realizing was at the end of the day, again, I said it at the end of the day, if walls are going to be built and things are going to happen, someone has to start moving rocks. Man, somebody has to step out and build. Someone has to realize that steps of faith, they are just the beginning. And when you take a step of faith for God, that is when the work starts. Now, I can already hear some of you because you think like me. And my thought is this. Well, if steps of faith bring work, I just won't take steps of faith. Because I don't like work. So I'm not going to take that. But what we're going to see this morning is that there is far more at stake in your life if you don't take the steps of faith because there are people depending upon you. That's what we're gonna realize this morning. Nehemiah, he realized that when he took a step of faith, man, he took that step and he realized this is where the work starts. There's work to be done. Notice, secondly, Nehemiah realized when he took his step of faith that there were people to come alongside of him. Man, there were people to come alongside. I love the next part of this. Actually, as a matter of fact, most people believe that Nehemiah chapter two, verses 17 and 18 are the key verses for the entire book. Notice what's said in Nehemiah chapter two, verse 17 and 18. It's not, not on the screen. I just want to read it. Nehemiah's already scouted. He's already seen things need to happen. The walls need to be built. And he says, then I said unto them, unto the people, Ye see the distress that we are in? Man, you see what we're facing, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof, they're burned with fire. Come. Notice what he says. He challenges them. Hey, come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem. Why? So that we may be no more a reproach. Come and let us build up the wall. Why? So that we are no more a reproach. You know what Nehemiah is doing in verse number 17? He claims the distress. And I think this is interesting. In verse number 17, what he says, he says, ye see the distress that we are in. 
hold up, hold up, Nehemiah. You're not, you're not from Jerusalem. This is just your family, you know, your, your distant cousins or something like that. Like you don't even know half the people that live there. And Nehemiah, you've only lived here for a week. You've only been here for four days. You know what Nehemiah should be saying? Hey, do you see the distress that you're in? Hey, don't, but he's not doing that. Why? He's not laying blame. You know what I love about Nehemiah? He's not a a blame giver. You know, casting the stone saying, well, this is your fault. Can I just stop for a second and talk to husbands and wives in here? Our couples conference is coming up. I'm gonna give you a little preview. You know what we like to do in marriage sometimes? Yeah, you need to work on our marriage. Parents, you know what you like to do sometimes? Yeah, you need to work with these kids. Nehemiah could have done that. Nehemiah could have pointed the finger and said, hey, this is your fault. Hey, you need to, but he didn't. He said, hey, do you see the distress that we are in? He realized there are some walls that need to be built in our life and I'm just as much a part of it as you are. And he claims some responsibility. This is just a side thought, but I wonder what would happen if more Christians would just claim some responsibility. I wonder today about this, and I, I don't do this often, but I think about the political world going on. You know what Christians like to do? Christians in our country like to say, well, the political problems are their fault. It's their fault. Where's the Christian that's gonna say, you know what, it's my fault. Man, I haven't been what I need to be for the Lord. We are in this together. I wonder what could happen in our country if some believers would stand up and do that. I wonder what would happen in your home. What would happen in in your workplace? Everything that needs to improve, what would happen if you just simply said, man, we are in this. So here's Nehemiah. He says, hey, have you seen the distress that we are in? It sits in ruins. But then notice what Nehemiah says. Nehemiah says, hey, come and let us build. Well, why should we build? Verse number 17, here's why. Let us build up the wall of Jerusalem so that we be no more a reproach. You know, Nehemiah, again, listen, uh, those of you that know Bible, uh, you, we would, many people would say, well, Nehemiah is about walls. You know, Nehemiah was about building a wall. No, Nehemiah was concerned about what went on within the walls. Nehemiah was concerned about the people who were living in the wall. Hey, you are a reproach and people are looking at you and they are viewing your God. And when they view your God through you and you're living as a reproach and your life is a reproach, you know what? You, because of us living as a reproach, our God is a reproach. We reflect upon our God. And so Nehemiah said, hey, let's rise up and build the wall because if the wall is built then the people on the inside can stop living in affliction and the people on the inside can stop living in reproach. So Nehemiah is not a book about walls. Nehemiah is a book about people. And here's Nehemiah saying, we need to rise up and build. You know, what's crazy to me is that the people who were living there, they were the ones living in it. And yet they were living oblivious to the reason of their affliction. They were living oblivious to the reason of their reproach. And the people, while they were the ones living there, Nehemiah, the outsider, had a greater burden for the broken down walls in their life. They had just kind of become okay with it. Nehemiah said, you know what? I've got a burden for your situation. 
Can I encourage you today, don't let someone from the outside have a greater burden for the broken down walls in your life. Don't let somebody have a greater burden for your broken marriage. Don't, have, don't let somebody have a greater burden for your kids. Don't have, let somebody have a greater burden for your testimony. Nehemiah is the outsider. They should have had a burden, and yet they didn't. But we read of Nehemiah telling them of the reason for their affliction. Hey, we gotta build up the walls because we're living in a reproach. We, we need to build because we are a display of our God. I love how Nehemiah didn't gloss it over. Hey guys, so um, I know you've seen things are a little, you know, just a little chaotic around here. And there's just, it's, it's kind of a little messy. Now he says, hey, we're a reproach and we need to change some things. I want to say this morning that in this book or in this part of the chapter, I see Nehemiah as the, the one who brings hope. Because the people are living there and they don't know necessarily what to do. And Nehemiah comes and says, hey, here's hope. Let's build. And then notice what he says in verse number 18. And this is where the hope comes in. Notice verse 18. Because Nehemiah says this. Then I told them, of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. That's where hope comes in. Nehemiah's there. He says, hey, I've only been here for a week. Look at the distress we're in. We need to rise up and build. We've got to do something so that we are no more a reproach. Oh, by the way, let me tell you what God has been doing. And when it says that he told them the good hand of God upon him, this does not mean that Nehemiah was just like, oh, by the way, God's with me. No, he said, hey, uh, a few months ago, a few months ago, there was a group of men that came here. One of them was my brother and he came back and he told me what was taking place. And Nehemiah began to recount for them everything that was going on. And Nehemiah began to tell them about the four months of the burden. And then he told them, hey, finally the king asked me and I, I was thinking I was gonna die, but I told the king what was going on. And you know what? God worked out all the details. Listen, I've got letters of permission. We've got all of the resources. Hey, materials are coming in. Hey, listen, we have time. I've got 12 years to do this. We have time to complete the job. Oh, and by the way, by the way, the king, the one who just a decade ago told you guys to stop building, he sent letters of permission. That's what he says in the next part. I told him of the hand of God that was good upon me and also of the king's words that were sent. You know what Nehemiah did? He brought hope. Hey, listen, God, is doing something. God wants to do something. Hey, God is working behind the scenes. Hey, you've lived here in reproach long enough. Hey, listen, God is able to work even in this situation. I love how he just points out God's been doing this. He has been in this from the beginning. And Nehemiah, he's one that he had spent more time with King Artaxerxes than anybody except for the king's family. And so no wonder the king sent letters saying, hey, okay, you can do this. And now he's there and he tells the people, listen, God has been in this from the beginning. You know what the people say? They say, all right, let's do it. All right, let, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. That phrase, rise up, it's them saying, not, not, okay, let's get up and get to work right now. It's them saying, all right, let's attitude check. 
All right, let's get our attitudes right. Man, we've been downtrodden. We've been allowing other people to define us as weak and we've left the walls broken and lived as a non-threat. But you know what? Since you told us of what God is doing and since you told us of the hope that we have and since you told us of the hand of the king that has been involved in this and God behind everything, man, we are no longer downtrodden. Now we realize there is hope and we will rise up and build. And so what did they do? They strengthened their hands for this good work. You know what that means? They changed their attitude, and then they got to work. That's what it's simply saying. They changed their attitude, and then they, they got to work. But you know what they were waiting on? They didn't know it, and he didn't know it, but an entire city was waiting on one man. They didn't know it. They didn't know they were waiting for Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't know they were waiting for Nehemiah. But God used the faith step of Nehemiah to say, I'm going to go and do something. Now, when you enter Nehemiah chapter 2, one man wants to do something. When you exit Nehemiah chapter 2, an entire city wants to do something. What is that? The effect of one man's faith. I don't like waiting. I don't know many people that do like waiting. This last week, we traveled to Las Vegas, our staff. We had a conference down there, and we went there for just a couple of days and uh, were involved in uh, just hands-on practical things for ministry. Tuesday night after the event, all of the staff went out to eat. Uh, Mahan and I went out with some other friends, but they all went uh, out to eat. I won't name the restaurant, but they got there. And when they got there, half of the group, because you can only do tables of four, half the group got served right away. The other half got missed for 35 minutes. Is that right, Brian? For 35 minutes, they were sitting, waiters and waitresses just walking by them, and no one ever came to them. Until finally, Robert got somebody, hey, uh, we haven't been helped for 35 minutes. I don't know about you, but if I'm waiting for 35 minutes, I'm like, my meal should be free. <laughs> Samantha was like, we tried to get free dessert, but they never, they never hooked us up on that one. Man, I don't know about you, but I don't like waiting. I don't like wait. That's why, that's why I love microwaves, you know, and drive through. You don't have to wait very long. Man, you've waited on people and people have waited on you. But have you ever had a time in your life when you didn't know what you were waiting for? Maybe a few, but not many. But here's this group of people. They've been waiting and they didn't even know it. What were they waiting for? One man. And an entire city is affected by the faith of one man. You know, Nehemiah realized when he took that step of faith, he realized, number one, there's work to be done. Number two, there were people. There were people to come alongside him. And I'm gonna tell you this morning that in your life, when you take steps of faith, there are always people to come alongside you. You have no idea who your steps of faith are going to affect. You don't know how it may affect your marriage or how it may affect your kids or how it may affect your coworkers or how it may affect another brother or sister in Christ here at church. You don't know. We don't know who our faith steps affect. But Nehemiah took it and he realized there were people to come alongside. What else did he see? I see that Nehemiah saw thirdly that there were critics who will fight. There were critics who would fight. Notice, if you will, verse number 10. Verse number 10, it says this, when Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Verse number 19, after Nehemiah and the people say we're gonna rise up and build and they start building, when Samballat the Horonite and uh, um, Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn they despised us and said, 
What is this thing that you do? Will ye rebel against the king? They were bringing up the edict that the king had sent 10 years earlier and they were laughing them to scorn. They were mocking them. They were despising them. They were hating them and, and uh, hating on them with their language and their words and just saying, hey, what is this thing that you're gonna do? And can I tell you this morning that the critics, they came up. From the very first moment that Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, the enemies, these critics, they took note. And by the end of the chapter, they're out to destroy Nehemiah, they're out to destroy the people, and they're out to destroy the work of the Lord. And enemies, they laughed at them to the point of mocking them. They despised them. They accused them. And now there's critics and there's enemies of God sitting and mocking and ridiculing. You know what I think of when I think of these guys? I think of uh, Statler and Waldorf. Who's Statler and Waldorf. There's a, there, it's those two old guys on the Muppets. And in every Muppet segment, what are they doing? They're sitting and making fun of everybody. Now, sometimes they're funny. But most of the time, you know what they're doing? They're just being critical. They're just ridiculing. They're hating on everybody. They're talking bad about Kermit. And they're talking bad about Miss Piggy. Kermit the Frog here. They're talking bad about him. And all these things are happening. You know what these critics are? Man, they're just bitter enemies. That's what Sambal and Tobiah were. Sambal and Tobiah, they were just critics who stood up and said, you're not gonna do that. What are you doing? You think you're gonna make a difference by building this wall? We're gonna see later on that they began really to attack and they began the devil using them to tempt the Nehemiah to bring him away. But here's just the simple thought that anytime in life when you have great opportunity and, and uh, step out for God, mark it down that there is always going to be a great adversity as well. And there's always going to be enemies, mocking, criticizing. Anytime in life when you and I wanna take steps of faith, We need to know that where great opportunity exists for the Lord, that there the devil is always gonna be fighting. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 16, nine. He said, a great door and effectual is open unto me and there are many adversaries. As you take steps to be involved in following the Lord, you're always gonna face adversaries. Every good and godly endeavor, somebody is going to ridicule. Oh, you're gonna work on your marriage? Why don't you just throw the bum out? Hey, you're, you're, you're praying about what? You're serving in what? You're giving towards what? Why are you? And it might be a coworker. It might be a family member. It might be somebody who's a, who, who you thought was a friend. There's always gonna be those people who try to intimidate you to not serve the Lord and not follow through with decisions that you've made. There is always going to be critics. Nehemiah realized, man, I took this step of faith. I knew it was gonna be difficult but I found out there was work to be done. I found out there were people to come alongside me. I found out there were critics who would begin to fight against me. But you know what else Nehemiah found out? He found out that there was a God who will strengthen. Every step of faith that you take, God will always strengthen it as you continue. Notice verse number 20. The critics have responded to Nehemiah. What does Nehemiah say back to them? Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, hey, he will prosper us. Hey, listen, Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem, you, you, guys, you guys are attacking us, but our God is doing this. 
God will prosper us. And so you know what? God's gonna prosper us, so what are we gonna do? Notice what he says. Therefore, hey, since he's behind this, we, his servants, will work. We'll arise and build. But then I love what his reply is to him in the next part because he says, you have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. You know, Nehemiah is simply saying to these men, he is saying, hey, listen, God called us to this and he will do it. Why? Because where God guides, he provides. Whom God calls, he equips. And God is going to do his part, so we're going to do our part. But as for you, you have no portion. Hey, this isn't your inheritance. You have no right. Hey, you have no freedoms or abilities here. And you have no memorial. Hey, there's not even a record of you in Jerusalem. You know what he's telling them? Get out of here. You have, you have no right here. Your, your ridicule, your despising, your mocking, it's not gonna stop us. Why? Because God's gonna do his part and we're gonna follow through with ours. You know what? I, I don't think Nehemiah was a fighter. I, I look at it. I mean, he was a cupbearer. I don't see him as this, you know, big, tough, bad dude with like, come on, bring it on. You want to fight? I don't see Nehemiah like that. But you know what I see in this moment? I see Nehemiah strengthened with the words of God to say, hey, hey, God is in this. And I'm just going to follow him by faith. I'm just going to step out and follow God. And I don't, Tobiah, I don't care what you say. This isn't your land. These aren't your people. You have no right here. You have no portion here. You have no inheritance here. You have no reward. There is nothing for you here. But our God, he will prosper us. You know, I believe God, did, God does all throughout the book, and we'll see it a few more times. We'll see God coming alongside Nehemiah and the people and just kind of helping them understand, hey, hey, I can give you grace. Hey, I can give you strength hey, this isn't your work. You know what Nehemiah refers to throughout the book? Continually, Nehemiah refers to, this is God. Hey, God has done this. I wonder, can you look at your life and say, man, this is God. Look at where God's brought me. Look at what God has done. Look at what God is doing. This morning, Nehemiah, he takes that step of faith and what does he realize? He realizes there's work to be done. And in your life and your faith steps, just because you said, okay, God, I'll follow, doesn't mean the work stops. Actually, that's where the work begins. Nehemiah took this step of faith and he realized that's where the work, there was work that needed to be done, but he also saw there were people to come alongside. Can I tell you this morning, when you take steps of faith, you never know who God will bring alongside of you. You never know who God will use to help you continue forward and you never know who um, who God's gonna use you to influence because of your faith. But also there are critics who will fight. Every time you step out, the devil will fight. It may not come through people. It may just come through some oppression. It may just come through uh, some discouragement, but the devil will fight. But then notice and, and know last of all today that God will strengthen. <clears throat> today as we wrap up, I just wanna simply bring out this thought. That Nehemiah's faith I said it at the beginning, but it impacted an entire city. What is it in your life, what faith step is it that God's been asking you to take? That you'd say, well, God, I, man, that's too much. Or Lord, I, I can't, God, I can't take that one. 
God, you've called me to. No, God, I, and you have these excuses. Can I tell you today, you have no idea who that faith step will affect. Dad, it could be your wife. It could be your kids. Ma'am, it could be your husband. It could be your grandkids. It could be your parents, teenager. It could be, it could be a church family. You don't, we don't know who our faith steps will affect. So the challenge I wanna give us today is don't hesitate to take those steps. Man, be in Nehemiah. What did Nehemiah do? He stepped out by faith. Oh, he knew there was work gonna be involved. Oh, he knew there would be critics. Oh, Nehemiah knew that there would be some people, but Nehemiah did not know the extent that his faith, the extent of the effect that his faith step would have. And so this morning as a Christian, as a follower of God, I wanna encourage you, whatever step of faith that you have to take, man, take it. And maybe, maybe ask yourself, who's waiting? Who's waiting on my faith step? And we don't know. And so the challenge this morning is just simply take the steps of faith that God asks. Maybe it's to witness and talk to somebody about the Lord. Maybe it's to heal your marriage. Maybe it's to speak encouraging words to that coworker instead of criticism. Maybe it's to uh, encourage your teenager and uplift them. Maybe it's to uh, serve. Maybe it's to give. I don't know what it would be. But whatever God's been challenging you with lately, take that step. But last today, perhaps your faith step is to receive Christ as your savior. And I would ask you just to search in your own heart and ask yourself, do you know for sure if you died today, if you died today, that you'd go to heaven? Do you know Jesus Christ is in your life? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Not in a church, not in baptism, not in any sort of well-being or well-doing or, or any sort of work. Have you put your faith and trust in him alone? Have you asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and to be your savior? Maybe that's the faith step you need to take today, realizing that Jesus already did all the work for that one. I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. And I wanna ask you today, just right where you're seated, a couple of questions. The first is, do you know for sure if you died today that you'd go to heaven? If you know that, you'd say, Pastor Dennis, I know for a fact that I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. I know I've received him as my savior. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor Dennis, I know I've done that. Just right up and right back down. Now, if you have received Christ as your savior, today, today, would you ask the Lord, God, help me to take those faith steps you want me to take. God, help me not to make excuses. God, would you help me to realize when I take a faith step that there's still some work to be done? If you know Christ as your Savior and he's spoken to your heart today, would you respond to him? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.